It's a great time to get a great deal on a new car when you get approved for an auto loan from PenFed. Our powered by true car rates are as low as 1.39% APR on new vehicles. Finance for a longer term to lower your monthly bill, plus take up to 60 days to schedule your first payment. Join PenFed, and together, we'll keep you moving forward. Anyone can apply. Visit PenFed.org auto or call 1-800-247-5626. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve, too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Good day to everybody and welcome to this edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Stephen Jodderan. On the line with us is Armand Kafai down in Texas and assistant producer Jake Watroba in Minnesota. We got the, the game back together. Uh, and we're going to be talking about MLS attendance. Steve Brizendine is going to join us to talk about the red hot sporting Kansas City. And James Grossi, we had him on multiple times now, talk about TFC and the Champions League. Can they turn around and make history for MLS and U.S. soccer? But boys... What's going on? Nothing much. Um, kind of, kind of just living life, you know. <laughs> watching a watching a bunch of soccer here and there, trying to not pass out after studying like five six hours for exams. So it's it's, it's a hard knocks life, Jake. I mean, I don't know about you, but yeah, no, it definitely is a hard knock life up here. I'm um, just uh, watching. The Sounders put on a clinic on Minnesota United right now. So uh, as is any MLS team wants to do with uh, Minnesota United. So that's they're really you know that respect thing they were talking about a, a few weeks ago. They're yeah. they're they've really uh, these I think last, that was three, last four week. matches. I think that was whatever last it was, week. they've really done a great. Well, Armand last week went and I guess I can blame him for this performance right now for jinxing them, basically <laughs> saying they're a great team. I don't know why no one respects them, but. No, like like it was a few weeks ago, and Francisco Calvo came out and said, "No one respects us, and why why don't why don't we get the same amount of respect as Atlanta and LAFC and New York City and all this stuff?" Well, th- this is why, Francisco <laughs> Calvo. This is why you, you they look terrible today. Granted, this could, I could sound like an idiot in 24 hours if they come back and win three two or something, but after one half, they look terrible. So that's what I'm doing. That's that's my misery right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Did any of you guys get ESPN Plus? I did. Uh, did you I have it? not. I have not. Well, let me let, let me tell you something. I've had the app. I got the subscription, the one year subscription, and, sh- and you have to give a big shout out to USL for probably doing one of the smartest things and partnering with ESPN Plus because I've watched more USL games with ESPN Plus than I have in my life, and the reason is is because it's so accessible. Instead of on that live YouTube, like it just, it, I don't know, it just didn't feel like a real game that I was watching. But now that's on ESPN Plus, like it's on my phone. If I'm working out or something, I need to go on a treadmill or I'll pull up like a, I was watching uh, the Tulsa Roughnecks and Fresno play and there was like a couple red cars thrown in there. I mean, I just want to say USL and ESPN Plus in general has been great. And USL did a fantastic job partnering up with ESPN Plus because it's definitely going to help the exposure of their league. Jake, I, I think you were watching a couple of USL games uh, earlier, like in the last couple of weeks, right? Yeah, I was watching. I was watching. What was it last week? I think it was Indy Eleven versus Nashville. Oh, and that terrible um, turf. Oh yeah, I know that was that was really bad. You think? Like that was that was uh, about on on the same level as New England Revolution when the Patriots are are playing. No, it's even um, well. No, it's even worse because the New England Revolution, at least the, uh, Gillette Stadium, attempts to take all the the pain off. Indy Eleven had one end zone. Yeah, like it, it with the still, Indian, it's, with the Colts thing on, and then the other side. Well, it was so it was just so wacky looking. 
Well, yeah, and it was awkward too because they had they didn't even remove the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, well, they tried to at least uh, <laughs> the, the, that their helmet at the fifty yard line. But the thing is, how the field was set up was you would think that that would have been kind of centered in the middle of the pitch. It was, but it wasn't. It was all kind of off centered, so it looked kind of goofy. And then, like you said, the 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 one end of the the field had the Indianapolis Colts uh, end zone still completely there. Just we're not going to try to hide it or anything, which is fine, I guess. I don't know. They can, they're playing in the Colts stadium, so whatever. Uh, but no, I, I getting back to ESPN Plus. Yeah, there's something there's something about it that it, it just makes it more accessible than having to look up USL on YouTube, which really isn't that hard either. But I, I guess when you're just looking to – because the nice thing about ESPN Plus is the MLS package too. So when you're looking to watch soccer and you don't right. want to watch one of these random MLS games, like, oh, there's this USL game on, or, there, oh, there might be this English championship game on too. So – yeah, it's it's all right there at your fingertips, and it just makes everything so much easier for you. I, I think it's great exposure for the sport in general, but let me ask you guys, since I don't have ESPN+, and I probably will get it over the summer, how has the product been regarding USL? Just in terms of, like, the games? The games. I mean, you could tell it's, it's a step down. Uh, it's fr- from MLS. I mean, it's still been entertaining to me. But sometimes you get these. I remember I watched an MLS game a couple uh, a couple years back. It was a bland zero zero draw. I was on Unimos with uh, LA Galaxy playing against the Fire or something at StubHub, and I think you get a lot more of those games. Those weird bland sometimes some so, uh, sometimes bland as well. But it's really entertaining too because you do have a bunch of characters in the league, such as a Chelis at the Las Vegas Lights, and I mean, I think like the. First three games I tuned in, there was like uh, it was like some sort of like there was like either goal fests or something along the lines of that. It's it's really interesting because you know it's a it's a step down, but I mean I don't know about you, Jake. I, I mean it's still entertaining in my eyes. Yeah, I I, <clears throat> I mean not to be that that guy, but we're all MLS fans here. We all kind of recognize where MLS stands in the the pecking order of leagues around the world. So to me, it's kind. I mean. Watching USL, it, it it is what it is. It doesn't. I guess the the, the, the drop off in quality or talent. I mean, it's you can tell it's there, but I don't think it's. I don't think it's something where you go, oh, I can't watch this. This is this is like watching high school soccer. You know, it. I mean, there there's still good players in USL. There's still guys in USL that I think could be playing. I mean, I don't know. You know, starting for MLS clubs, but could be you know decent you know, role players on an MLS side. Um, so. You are right. And Paul Kennedy tweeted out, uh, this was Saturday. He tweeted out top 10 announced U.S. soccer crowd so far this week. Uh, seven came from MLS, two from USL, and one NWSL. Uh, notable a preseason NPSL soccer game in Chattanooga draws 5,000. W- what's insane is that the third highest attended game was FC Cincinnati versus Pittsburgh in the USL. That out, you, you, It's just weird t- to assume, some, look at these numbers and to assume that MLS is doing really well. FC Dallas only got 13,326 I hate to I hate to throw an excuse, but the weather over here was not that good. Oh, the weather wasn't it good. Was, okay, it was it was supposed to uh, storm all the game, and it actually did end up raining for I'd say a 30, 40 minute part of the first half. I mean, no excuse because I mean they have struggled with attendance, but they just had really bad luck with what with that uh, game weather. Yeah, but with that even, game was bad luck. But even so, how does can I, can I ask a question real quick though? Yeah, how does MLS do their attendance? Is it tickets sold or is it actually tickets sold? Tickets People old. going through the gate. Is it t- okay? Just making sure, because I know baseball does it kind of weird. But carry on, sorry. But you know, the LA Galaxy versus Atlanta United, twenty-five thousand. Well, closer to twenty-six thousand. Orlando City, San Jose, twenty-five thousand. Sporting KC versus Vancouver, nineteen. Red Bulls versus Chicago, about eighteen. RSL versus Colorado, that's seventeen and a half. Do you think we have an issue with the attendance? Because when you look at the 2018 MLS attendance average, this is 
uh, brought, uh, you can go find this on SoccerStadiumDigest.com. Let's throw out DC United because they're going to get a new stadium. But the crew, they're averaging less than 10,000. That's the the Columbus the crew, crew are in a weird spot though. Like think about it, they're they're in a really weird spot, and I I I, I used to think the same. But then you think about it, do you want to support a guy that wants to move your team? It's kind of one, it's kind of one of these things where you're kind of torn. Do you want to go support that that those guys who are threatening to move your team by giving them more money, or do you want to? Go support the team, even though there's a chance they might move. They're stuck in this weird. They don't. They don't know exactly what to do. The thing is, the crew are, the crew are a pretty good team. So no, it kind of sucks they, that, that they're they are in this pretty good dilemma. But, I mean, it it doesn't it help the argument that look, <laughs> we're getting less than ten thousand game. Like what? How does pre-court not sit there and go look? Like what else do you want from me? They're not showing up. I'm getting the hell out of here. This is not good for the club. But what's that say to the players when they look up in the stands and it's empty? I mean, does I mean, it does it not affect the players when they are looking to sign for clubs here? The, those European players, say the, the, even the older players, but just you know they're they're looking around and. Wow, you know, playing for Sporting KC in front of a stadium, in a stadium, and in front of fans like that, versus Colorado Rapids. Why the hell would I ever go to Colorado? It's it's tough because for certain instances, you see people talk about, okay, yeah, the fans do help. Like, I mean, I think it was Atlanta. Someone mentioned they're excited to play in front of the Atlanta fan base. But, I mean, I think in some instances, just what's best for the player, what's best in terms of uh, monetary uh, value and whatnot, especially, you know, if it's, it's a player from a low, like, you know, from uh, maybe a little bit more of an unknown player. I mean, obviously, I don't think fans have that much of an impact. But I do see what you're saying. I think it doesn't really hurt, but it can really help, if that makes any sense. No, it definitely can help. But Jake, you follow baseball a bit more closely than I do. I sent you this article this past week uh, on Yahoo Sports. Ten degrees, MLB's enormous attendance drop due to bad weather, or is it something far worse for baseball? And numbers across the board are down. Now, I'm, uh, the article is from Jeff Patson. He writes, yep. compared to last season at this juncture, the Red- Boston Red Sox are down 2,500 fans a game. The Chicago Cubs and St. Louis Cardinals are nearly 5,000. The Cleveland Indians' average crowd has dropped more than 5,000. Texas Rangers, more than 7,000. The Pittsburgh Pirates, more than 7,500. The Toronto Blue Jays, Detroit Tigers, and Kansas City Royals are each in a s- in the 8,000 range. The Miami Marlins are pushing close to 10,000. The most severe is the Baltimore Orioles, who've played six games at home and are at almost 16,000 fewer per. This is huge. Now, are we? do you think this is an issue of American sports, or is MLS's attendance issue not as bad as we think and is, in fact, in a better situation than you look at MLB. Now we are in the month of April and the weather is not very good in these, you know, in Boston and these colder weather cities. So it, it would make sense, but these numbers don't look good for baseball. What, what does that say about MLS and U S soccer? Yeah, I, I'm, it's, I don't know. It's kind of tough to, it's kind of tough to explain because I know like with baseball, I, I think a lot, a lot of this, and I'm not sure if this was touched in that article too, but a lot of those teams you mentioned are tanking and that's kind of been a hot topic in baseball now where um, these teams are basically like the Marlins in, in particular with their, you know, had a fire sale this past yeah. off season. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if this is an American sports trend now where people are kind of just, I mean, let's, I mean, let's face it. I mean, I don't know how the prices are for FC Dallas games. I don't know, you know, what the most expensive ticket is or, you know, whatever. But, I mean, you go to a game, if you're a family of four, you know, you, you know, you bring, you know, the two kids, the wife or whatever, or the husband. Um, you know, I think you're spending probably 100 bucks altogether on those tickets. Then you got to buy food and drink and parking and all that stuff. It's just an expensive outing. And 
you know, the, the t- ticket prices aren't getting cheaper. They're getting more and more expensive as, you know, time goes on. I know Minnesota United's, theirs are going up for the 2019 season already. And, you know, I, I think stuff like that is just, is what uh, kills some of these attendance numbers sometimes. And it's, it's April too. Again, this was a really, uh, w- really weird March and April with how much snow and how cold it was. No, um, you're right. And, but in uh, the U S <clears throat> but my point here is if you look at, if you go back to the soccer digest, a soccer stadium digest.com, look at the MLS attendance. They do to, they look at the year to year average and they give you a, has it increased from last year? Every team from f- from 14 straight down to 22. So that includes RSL, the Red Bulls, the Union, the Fire, FC Dallas, Colorado Rapids, the Revolution, the Crew, and DC United have had less attendance this year than last year. And that, that is doesn't la- surprise me, though. That that is last year's average. So that includes the good games and the good weather. And this, you know, we're only including April. For this section, but those teams, those markets are struggling to get asses and seats. Well, and I think with some of those teams too. I mean, and you can speak to this because Dallas is in the. It was in that list of uh, clubs you just mentioned. I mean, how how many times have we complained on this show about how Dallas doesn't market well, and you know they don't do enough to get people into stands, you know, or into the stands. And, it, you know, New England Revolution are a great example, too, of they're a team that's playing 45 minutes outside of Boston that's kind of a pain you-know-what to get to. So, I mean, another thing, too, about the, the, those teams you listed off, those aren't really those aren't really good teams. <laughs> you know, well, like... Armand, Armand. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're not wrong, Jake, but Armand, <laughs> do you think this is an issue that could plague the league in, in separating the good and the bad. I mean, like Jake said, but what what's another interesting is these are all pretty, besides for the union, these are all old, older market teams. Chicago, Dallas, Colorado, Revolution, Columbus, D.C. These are original clubs. It's really tough to gauge if there's an attendance issue or not yet because – a lot of if you look at a lot of teams share that same characteristic, you know. Red Bulls, their stadium is more in Harrison. Colum- uh, Dallas stadium is not in Dallas. In, <laughs> is not in Dallas. It's in Frisco. Um, and you could probably go on and on. Oh, Denver, for, New England, those stadiums are definitely not in. And uh, there, you, and there you go. Chicago that, too. That's not in. It's it's outside of Chicago. And, and and there you go. Uh, that's part of the problem. But again, uh, another part of the problem is people just – I don't think people care about MLS. Uh, well, that's what that's what we were talking with some sources this past week, and they were saying the biggest issue uh, – and, and these are sources close to front offices across MLS. We were talking to them, and they were saying, well, the issue is – it's not necessarily the marketing. Some people just don't care. It's the question Exactly. Of- people, people will go. I mean in – in Texas, contrary to what anyone says, uh, anyone says or whatever, you drive everywhere. So you're gonna. So if you really care about going to see an MLS game, you will drive the 30 to 45 minutes uh, to get there. People do it for the the, the Cowboys all the time. Now Cowboys, FC Dallas, kind of a rash comparison. When one's America's team, the other one is bo- bottom in MLS attendance. But um, but Jake. Jake, you have to care about it. You have to care about it. In Minnesota, do they care? Mm-hmm. Do I mean, where is the stadium in relative to the city? Do people want to make that drive? Is it accessible? Right now, so they're playing at, at TCF Bank Stadium, which is on the University of Minnesota campus. Um, that is that's in Minneapolis. So uh, there is. I, I don't know about bus routes because I don't ever take the bus, but. There literally is a train station about 50 feet outside of the, the the stadium. So if you're taking the train to get to the game, it drops you right off in front of it. That's obviously easy. It makes it much more accessible. Um, when they move to Allianz Field next year, there is a train station that will drop them, you know, drop fans off a block from the stadium. Um, 
So, I mean, they draw, I mean, Minnesota draws pretty well too. I, I, I think they average about 19,000 fans per game. I don't know if it's tough to say like in this marketplace that people actually care about the club or if there's just, uh, Jake, the number is 25, uh, 2,500. That's what you're averaging, uh, over the two games that you guys have played at home, twenty thousand, which is twenty thousand, which is literally the exact same that you guys got last year. So it's a zero zero year to year. Here, here's the thing: Minnesota has soccer history. I mean, if you go back to the kicks, the kicks were in the NASL, the old NASL in the uh, in the late sixties or seventies. They're averaging twenty 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 four twenty five thousand. Um. Uh, uh, week in and week out. I mean, that's a lot, a lot, not, not a lot of people know about the soccer history in Minnesota. Minnesota is, I think, a really strong uh, soccer market. I mean, you see it in seven games in TCF. Even when it's cold as hell outside, people are still showing up because they care. Yeah, and they're, the, the team is already getting pressured to expand Allianz Field already, and it's not even near Open. completion. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's, expand so, how? Well, it's only going to have, I think it's... 18,000 seats, 19,000 no, seats, no somewhere way. around there. There's no way it's that it's, little. It's 19,000. No, Jake's right. No, it's it's less than 20,000. I know that. But they're already getting they're already getting pressured to expand to 25,000. So I, I'm surprised that they are creating stadiums that are capped at below 20. I'm surprised they don't try to make a field, you know, the stadium 20 to 30,000 to allow that era of growth. Yeah, but it's kind of one of those things where – you know, okay, let's like okay, here's a great example. So if you turn on an MLS game and you see the stadium's half full, do you really want to watch it? Well, that, that's a great point. I mean, and it's like Red Bulls because Red Bulls is capacity what twenty five thousand, but they maybe get twelve thousand. It looks half empty. No, you no, you're yeah, right, it, and that's a huge it issue. Makes, it, it makes the appearance, but I'm asking. Let's look at FC Cincinnati versus Pittsburgh, and how they were the third most attended game. Uh, here's, here's my thing. Here's my thing about that. Sorry to interrupt you, Stephen. I'm so sorry to interrupt you. But here's my thing about that. And a lot of people have mentioned this. They're still a USL team. Don't forget that those ticket prices probably aren't as high as MLS price. MLS prices. I want to see what it's going to be like, and hopefully it doesn't change that much. Hopefully they've um, established so much of a loyalty and a fan base that. It won't jump, but that's still a USL. I bet you a USL ticket's much less than an MLS ticket. So plain and simple. Well, sure, but the point here is Zlatan Ibrahimovic visits Dallas next week. Tickets have gone through the roof. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two next weeks. next home game, I should say. Yeah. Next home game. Tickets are through the roof. Uh, 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 to buy buddies calling they've had, me. They've, yep, they've had to. Uh, uh, they've opened up seating uh, where the Hall of Fame. Is uh, being built. Uh, the two corners that haven't been open usually, they've opened them up, uh, and they're selling like seventy-five buck tickets uh, for like a, uh, a sideline view, basically. So view. it's it's ridiculous how a one player still affects. I think ultimately the growth of the league is trended well, but I think MLS attendance is still a worried concern for the front office of each club and MLS as a whole because it's still dictated. By a the home team if they have are good who's on the home team and ultimately who's visiting because you can't have these fluctuations of being sold out and then averaging fifty percent of stadium capacity the following week because you're playing a team that blows and you're playing a team that you know in L A Galaxy that might not necessarily be the best in the league but because one player is going to sell out and everybody just wants to see him play. No, yeah, I, I, I agree. It it's it sucks. I mean, I tell people all the time who are just now watching some MLS matches because it's a lot of fun. LA Galaxy aren't that good of a team. Uh, you might be surprised if you see them lose and Zlatan not get that much service. They're like, ah, oh, no way. Well, uh, it just happened this past weekend. It just happened, exactly. It just happened with, uh, against Atlanta United. Atlanta United thinks a far better team to watch than LA Galaxy. But I mean, that's, that's besides the point. Uh, yeah, it does. But again, I think part of it is because people don't care. I mean, I posted. Uh, I mean, people don't care about MLS. People, uh, especially younger people. I think younger younger people that I go to school with, I talk to week in week out. They don't care about MLS. They say, "Why do you watch that garbage league?" 
I, I'll, I don't I'll know. That's a great that. question. And, and I think the problem is I'm in an area where there's really no MLS market. Jake, you see – I mean, do people talk about MLS up there when it comes to soccer? Yes or no in, in Minnesota? Yeah, no, not really. <laughs> they don't they don't get talked about all that often. Um, I'll sometimes wear like something Minnesota United, and people will ask me, "What is that? What what team is that?" Um, really? I think I saw. I think I saw. I don't know what. Um, oh, the uh, Minnesota Vikings uh, wide receiver Adam Thielen posted on Twitter that he got season tickets to Minnesota United, and I was reading through the comments because I just want to see people say stupid stuff about soccer. How they don't like it, or how it's dumb, or whatever. And I remember there was a comment that said, "What is that? Is that like our? Do we have like a lacrosse team? Is that what that is?" And it's like, <laughs> like, and that that's kind of where Minnesota United is with some people, though. It's just like no one knows who they are or what sport they represent or anything. And you know, it, the the team has done a lot better job marketing itself, but um, yeah, there's just not that many people that talk about it all that much i mean I th- yeah i'm not talking on the radio or anything th- that's another issue is, is what the coverage is in the media but it's an interesting conversation with the mls attendance i think the numbers are always intriguing to look at because it fluctuates and it's like you know you gotta try to figure out what's the issue is why aren't asses being put in seats in some markets and some others are but jake i'm i'm you're going to leave for the show. I'm going to leave you with this statistic. This is from Opta Jack. Minnesota has conceded in 18 consecutive MLS games, which is tied for fourth longest such streak in MLS play since 2010. How does that make you feel? Yeah, we're we're a little leaky, huh? <laughs> yeah. a little, um, once you guys get out of this stupid soft launch and go into the real launch, I think it will be a much different story, but... I, I'm convinced they will drop money this summer. I think they will spend a well. I mean, apparently, apparently, Twelman mentioned uh, at the, on the halftime show that they had an offer from a either a Liga MX side or a second division side in Mexico for Christian Ramirez a two, one point five million dollar offer, but they rejected it. Uh, that was in the winter, which I'm I'm willing to bet right now they are kicking themselves for not doing that because he's benched uh, behind Abu Dhabi. So I mean, yeah, yeah. Um, up next, Steve Brizendine from uh, Sporting KC. We'll talk to him. Talk about how good that club is. Alrighty, listeners, joining us right now is MLSsoccer.com contributor Steve Brizendine. Steve, how are you doing this afternoon? Doing well, everybody there. We're we're here. We are enjoying MLS. That it's been crazy this past weekend. If you look at the score lines, those criticisms that MLS is boring. Please, there were goals left and right, and a team that really goals likes, galore. Uh, yes, goals galore, and a team that yeah. really likes to score is Sporting Kansas City. This was not expected from this club, was it? Well, now, after scoring, what, 40 goals in all last season, and Vermees did make it pretty clear that he wanted to go out and find somebody who was going to put the ball in the net. Uh, you know, after they, they averaged so few goals per game last year. I don't know if anybody could have seen what's going on this year coming, though. I mean, 20 goals, half of last season's total just as far into the season. That's This club has really been fun to watch in the attacking third. What do you make of Johnny Russell's production, Steve? Because when they they signed him from Derby, people were kind of it was kind of like kind of talked about, but not really. But I mean, he's exploded onto the scene. I mean, that goal against the Galaxy a couple weeks back was really impressive, and his performance against Vancouver, scoring at hat trick, was also equally as impressive. Well, it's not just the the way, the way that he's scoring; it's the way that he's moving off the ball. It's the way that he's drawing penalties. The way he's running at people. Uh, and, and, you know, he earned so many teammate points the other night when he came 50 yards across the pitch to uh, to get up in uh, in Watson's grill after that the foul on Espinosa. And then he kept his head about him, kept his hands below neck level, and wound up getting two of Vancouver's guys get sent off in the ensuing fracas. So he's been a contributor in so many different ways. And, yeah, I think he's been one of the bigger surprises of, uh, of MLS this year, one of the bigger pleasant surprises, just because of so many different things that he does well. 
and, and how good he has been at really helping him invigorate that attack. Was sporting? I mean, we talked. I talked about it in our little preseason little video series that we did. That sporting KC needed to score, but the defense has been somewhat leaky. What's going on compared to last season? Is it the loss of Benny Fellhaber to LAFC that is missing? Uh, I I don't know. I think what what's going on here is they're still kind of getting used to playing a more stretched game. One thing. And the other thing is is when teams are not coming into Children's Mercy Park and sitting back the way they used to. You know, sometimes it was easier to get clean sheets at Children's Mercy Park because the opposing team would just sit back and look for counters. I think you're seeing across the league a more wide-open style of play, which means that there are going to be more goals scored on solid defenses this year than in years past just because things are a lot more wide open. The other thing, I think they're still getting used to the model of play that Burmese installed this year with more risk-taking, um, more emphasis on going down and, and going after the, the, the goal instead of looking around for the, 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 the perfect pass and, and slowing, maybe slowing the game down a little bit that way. I think the pieces are still there for the defense. Um, I think and, uh, you know they have three shutouts so far this year, you know, including shutting out L.A. Galaxy with, with Zlatan in the team. That's not an easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. But I think the defense is... Uh, is getting to where it needs to be. I don't think it's going to be uh, a liability this year for sure. I think it's still going to be a strength. I think it's just a different kind of model of play. It's going to be more wide open. Mike can see more, but they're also poured in a lot more. Steve, what do you make of Kyrie Shelton's play recently? I mean, we saw him at NYCFC, the team that selected him in the Super Draft, and we saw flashes of what he could do, but it looks like he's been playing really well in uh, Peter Vermees' system. What he's done really well is being really aware of the guys around him. Look, I know he's not been lighting up the score sheet. He's not, he's not down the net yet. But you look at, um, you know, say, for example, there's a, there's a play in Colorado where he screens off his defender so Felipe can get to the rebound and knock mm-hmm. it in. There's that little back heel that he makes in that same mm-hmm. game to, to Diego Rubio. He's doing really well at being aware of the guys around him and helping create opportunities for them. Um, I think Peter will tell you that as long as the ball, he expects goals from forward, but as long as that forward is helping create opportunities to go into the net, I think he's going to have um, you know, a pretty long leash with Peter, even if he's not putting the, uh, the ball in the net because of how well he's working with the guys around him. Steve, Sporting K- KC has played the most games so far. Now, give or take, because there are a couple games going on today. I don't know how that affects the standings. But how has that affected the team, and how do you think this could impact going into the summer with the World Cup and just you know having a, a, a schedule that seems to be very busy here early on? You know, um, I in, in the past we've kind of gone in late in the year with games at hand and not done a whole lot with those. It'd be interesting to see what I don't know what to expect with having the schedule more front loaded like this. They do know they're getting results, um, and that's never a bad thing to get results earlier in the season mm-hmm. because then maybe you can weather that stretch that's coming where the, where the results aren't going to come. Um, I think this is a team that is actually better built than, than the Spring KC team has been in a while to make runs not only in another open cup, but uh, runs in the playoffs. And I think it's built with more depth. I think it's built to... Uh, to or the system rather than, than who's out of the pitch at any given time is, is really the, sort of the star. Um, you know, I think you have to be able to make that work perhaps better top to bottom. Steve, there's been a little bit of some uh, criticism uh, for SKC's uh, new DP, Johan Krozet. He's kind of found uh, himself in the last couple of games, I'd say. What's, the, what's been the fan reaction of uh, his play? You know, early on, I think you're right. There's a lot of criticism um, because with the DP, people expect the DP to come in and contribute right away. Which, you know, in a playmaking capacity, they may that's not always the easiest thing to do because you're still learning everybody's tendencies. You're still learning the league. Uh, I think his work rate has been really good, uh, and I think the results are starting to come around to match with that. Is he? Uh, as good as 
he needs to be yet. I don't know. Um, I think he's making a lot of strides, and I think he's he's hitting, uh, starting to hit those those points where they expect him to, to make the plays and to and to, to to link up with his teammates. And I think that's just a natural progression. Now, the fans are going to take a little bit to warm to him. One because Benny was such a favorite, and uh, they miss him, and anybody's going to be compared to him for a while. But I think Jose has a, a chance to, to win people over, and I think he's starting to really kind of come around and mesh better with the team in the last couple of matches. You guys, uh, Sporting KC has scored the most goals through eight games um, in its franchise with 20 goals, which is just an insane stat to think about. I mean, obviously the trend, you know, the trend will it keep up, but do you see them continuing just being a, a, an offensive juggernaut throughout the season with how Peter Vermeens has everything set up in this beginning part? Until people uh, figure out, you know, if they can figure out that that off the ball movement in the in the area and attacking third, and I think so. This team is. If you look at, at past Sporting KC teams, there was possession with not so much intent, or not so much to show for the possession. Uh, a lot of extra passes near the uh, near the goal that maybe when. A shot should have been taken, and it got laid off to somebody, or an extra touch trying to get an, an angle to shoot from. This team is looking, I think, to make things happen sooner rather than later. They're not looking for the perfect shot. Uh, they're taking their opportunities and letting, see, letting things uh, kind of shake out as they will from from taking the shots. I mean, look at Jimmy Madrada the other night. Um, that was a shot. That, Ooh, you know, I was going to ask you about that. Seriously goal. audacious shot. What did you think of that goal? I was going to ask you about that. Ooh. That angle from behind, it, that that just – that oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's – I asked Vermees if they've been doing any kind of mechanical work on with Jimmy to get him to keep the ball down because in the past, I mean, he's got two really nice goals this year. In the past, he put the ball over the bar – pretty routinely. I mean, he's just sitting back too far on his shot, not getting over well enough, maybe getting a little big-eyed sometimes. But this year, for whatever reason, and Peter said, no, it's just, you know, kind of his maturing. Whatever whatever reason, whether they actually have been working with him or, or whether it's just, you know, learning the, to settle down a little bit and get over the ball, he is getting deadly from distance. And, um, you know, he's never been shy about shooting, but this year, I mean, he's a lot more dangerous because that ball is, is dipping, it's, it's swirling, and it's staying under the bar and going in the net. Uh, Steve, I just want to talk about the league quickly. Zlata, obviously, Zlatan Ibrahimovic has been playing for a little bit. Uh, just get your thoughts. Good move for just the league as a whole? Oh, boy. This is a complex thing because it does sort of reinforce the image of MLS as a, as a place that guys, you know, who are getting up there in years, uh, they've been making seven figures in euros, you know, and they're coming here now. There's a little bit of that left. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna be honest with that. With that Zlatan signing, there's still a little bit of that whiff of that around him. Now, will he be good for the league from a publicity standpoint? Oh yeah. I mean, the guy's personality is crazy, and he can still play. You know, he can still play at a, at a pretty decent level. Uh, he's not who he used to be, but, you know, that's that's when you get to be that age. Nobody's who they used to be. Um, overall, look, I, I think it's it's good, but it's not an unmixed blessing because there is that sort of reinforcement of, okay, well, I'm going to go take – I'm get, I'm getting uh, where my Premier League club doesn't have much use for anymore. I'm going to go to MLS and uh, – and graced him with my presence, <laughs> but you know, but in terms of in terms of attention to the league, in terms of a personality, sure, it's a great thing. Oh, absolutely! I mean, absolutely, it, it it's absolutely. been fun. You know, just uh, to watch him yeah. play, yeah, and, that... and uh, he's visiting Dallas, and Armand and I are just talking. The skick ticket, you know, increases in prices are just astronomical, just because of one player. It's just crazy. Yeah, uh, you know, and he's 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 done some some big courses. His second goal on his debut was offside. I was still maintaining that one. That first goal was just a thing of, of wonder, but that second goal he was offside on. So mm-hmm. I'm going to go back and hang my hat on that. But then you look <laughs> at a guy who's had more impact. I think mean, you know, arguably look at look at Johnny Russell, look at Felipe Gutierrez. These are guys who who know not near the splash, but look what kind of impact they've had for sporting and where sporting is on the table. 
No, yeah, ab- absolutely. I mean, it, even with a uh, consistently underrated Ilya in the midfield as well. I mean, these these guys are guys that people don't really talk about, but as a um, when when they come together and as a collective, they've made SKC a, a, a team that I have kept my eye on outside of the NYCFCs and the Atlanta Uniteds of the world. Look, Ilya, if you're going from purely objective standpoint of the impact he's had on the team and, and the value he's brought to the team, Ilya may be one of the best signings ever in this league. But the defensive midfield position is just so non-sexy. Absolutely. Um, a a D is like a, uh, you know, it's like a server in a restaurant. You don't really <laughs> notice them until you need them. All right. And they show up, do they do what you need them to do? That, and then they go back to, to being, you know, invisible. I don't say invisible, but you just don't notice them as much. You look mm-hmm. at the way Ilya plays. He's where he needs to be. He's not flashy, but he he's just so heady, and he's 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 got such a great idea of pace. You know, he, he can he can speed up a game if he needs to. He can slow down a game if he needs to. The guy can control the tempo of a game. Great link up between the uh, the back line and the and the the attacking core. Uh, he but he's again he's a lot like Tim Million. He's never going to toot his own horn. Right, two of the most of the, of the of the guys with the smallest egos making huge contributions um, to this club, and I still think Elia, if you from a purely objective value for for dollars uh, in this league, he's been one of the best signings ever. When I whenever I I see Elia play, because I mean sometimes I'll catch an SKC game on ESPN Plus now or back in the day MLS Live. Uh, he is he's he's someone who's just who's just right most of the time. He's just right. He he makes the right play at the right time. But it's such a small play that if you're like a casual fan, you won't notice it. But it's just something that's so small. You're like, damn, that was just such a smart, intelligent play, and it's something that, like I said, I think is criminally underrated and just not a sexy position. He's a footballer, footballer. I mean, if you're a casual fan, you. you you, you may not notice, but it's the guys that football or football. The people who know the game, the people who play the game, know what a good pickup he's been for sport. And he, he's just, um, he is underrated, I want to say outside the circle. Inside the circle, I mean, he's rated really highly. It's just that, again, like you said, that's not a pitch where people go to get famous. Well, Steve, we appreciate it as always. Um, we look forward to. Uh reading your stuff, but tell the listeners where they can follow you on Twitter and get all your latest information on Sporting KC. Follow me at, uh, follow me at Steve Brizendine on, uh, on Twitter, just my name. Uh, doing uh, not so much game-to-game stuff, but some longer-term stuff this year, but uh, I was still going to have my stuff out with uh, a lot of soccer, so it's uh, always fun to follow this club, and uh, especially this season, it's going to be really fun to follow this club. Oh, for sure. We're excited to see where uh, Sporting KC go. Thanks again, Steve, and uh, have a good day. Thank you, Steve. Thanks again for having me on. I think Sporting KC can be a dark horse because the team is sexy among MLS fans, but it's not as sexy as an Atlanta or an NYCFC, LAFC, in, in terms of where the team could go throughout the, the course of the season. Man, SKC is one sexy team in my book. Well, it's but, sexy, um, sure, but it's yeah. but it's it's but not. I, I see what you're saying. It's not the, It's not the star power. It's not the sexiness that you're getting with TFC Atlanta. NYCFC. No, I agree. Uh, I agree. I absolutely agree. And regardless if they're good or the bad, time, you know, if they're good teams or yeah, bad exactly. teams. Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like I would even say like Dallas. What two years ago when they when they oh, had sixty super points? Super sexy team. Yeah. But, super sexy team, but no one cared because they didn't have like any any superstars. No, I I, I just man, the discussion of Ilya Sanchez is really interesting because he is a really criminally underrated. Uh, defensive mid- midfielder, which again, a defensive midfielder doesn't do their that does a great job, doesn't really get that noticed. But like you said, the defensive the defensive struggles are something that may need to be touched upon. Hopefully, they can get that balance because defensively, I mean, what they allowed four goals against Chicago. Yeah, something um, like that. 
Yeah, it was four. It was the second game this season. It was four. It was four. It was four. It was it was it was a big amount. And I mean, part part of that is I mean I don't think they haven't. There's not that many upgrades done to the defense just yet. But I mean I think if maybe there's a couple upgrades here or there and. Uh, they sure up the back line that they can easily be a team that competes with a team like an NYCFC or an Atlanta. Hell, they might be better than one of those teams. We just haven't seen them in a uh, head-to-head game yet. Yeah, and uh, we'll see how the season progresses. I mean, it's still early on, so you don't know. You just really don't. That's the nature of MLS because a team could get hot. <clears throat> Seattle 2016. <coughs> go, Sorry. You know, win, win everything, but... Uh, turning the page, Armand, to Toronto FC, who uh, clearly are not giving two poops about MLS. That is absolutely not their intentions. Right now, it is the CONCACAF Champions League, and they laid an egg last Tuesday. They messed up, and they know it. It's one of those games that you just watch, and you were just... I was frustrated watching that game. As someone who was hoping TFC would win, but still a little bit more on bias side, that was one of those games you watched, and I feel like I've watched five of those games because those are all the same way FC Dallas games play well, out. You know what? Those the same of, way. Those types of games are, are what proves that soccer, in this game, you just don't know what's ever going to happen. You could have all the talent in the world, but it sometimes just doesn't click. You could be the more superior team. doesn't click. That's the beauty of the sport. I mean, what did I say on Twitter when the game ended? That uh, TFC probably should have been up three, four, one at some well, point. You were, we were messaging back and forth. I think. Well, we're gonna we're waiting to get James Grossi on the line here, but I I think Vanny screwed up his tactics. He should have switched them up earlier in that game because they were all over Chivas. They were. No, they were. And it was a really frustrating game to watch because, like I said, they should have been at 3-4-0. Chivas was giving them so much space. They were just whipping in balls like crazy. They were giving them so much space on the wings. And the fact of the matter is they didn't take advantage of it. They didn't score. And now they're going to have a 2-1 deficit and need two goals to win, the, uh, to win the CCL, basically. And, look, it... They were the better team, but who cares? Throw it out the window. They lost. They lost in a bad way. And they allowed a, a couple of bad goals. It is what it is. Joining us again is what I like to call RTFC guru, James Grossi. James, how are you doing today? No, not too bad. Not too bad. Enjoying a bit of a lazy Sunday, watching some soccer. You know how it goes. Yeah, no. But uh, one week ago, we were looking at the historic moment TFC had before them. We were all head over heels thinking that TFC could do it. And then game comes around, and then things don't go to plan, do they? No, it was, uh, you know, that... uh that elation, that sort of excitement that everyone had going into BMO Field on Tuesday didn't last very long whatsoever. You know, 66 seconds in, Chivas sort of scores off of a, you know, a goal that, that no coach ever wants to see the team concede. And you know, it sort of deflated deflated the stadium, and I'm sure it deflated the players a little bit as well. But, you know, they fought back and, and made it an interesting game. Of course, the result wasn't exactly what uh, what they would have wanted either, but I uh, it sure sets up an exciting second leg on Wednesday. Do you think it's over? That was. <laughs> I'm going to get. Let's, just get, let's uh, just get straight to the point. Is it over? Because Armand definitely thinks it's over. You, you, we've been texting literally since the game, and Armand, in fact, was pissed. He felt cheated by. I TFC. was so. I was so. I was. I was bummed. I mean, maybe it was a little premature to say it was over, but that was one of the more frustrating games I think I've. I, I've watched because I would say they dominated for uh, I would say sixty or is it sixty five uh, minutes of the match, and then there was a ten minute start in the first half, and the last fifteen minutes where they kind of were on the on, on the back edge, and you almost thought Chivas could potentially get a third. Um, it, it 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 was just like overall frustrating game, and the fact that I mean they've done it before, getting that two goal deficit. But I mean we've seen Chivas in the way they've uh, sh- they they. Uh, 
uh, have sh- shut down. I mean, they prevented Red Bull from scoring goal, even though they could have they could they could have scored. But I mean, just I I I think Almeida knows what what to do and how to uh, uh, limit Toronto. So I mean, I, I I'm I'm a little bit more bleak looking into the uh, uh, return leg at uh, in uh, Guadalajara. Yeah, um, to to be straightforward, like I, I don't think in any way this game is over. Um, one of the one of the things that really struck me afterwards was that, you know, Vanny was was very terse in his press conference. He didn't really have a whole lot to say, and you know, there was a part of me that that got the feeling that he was very angry with how that match turned out. Not only not only that first goal was one that a coach never wants to see a side concede, but that second one too was just oh yeah, you know. To give it up on that sort of stage and sort of put yourself behind the eight ball, but furthermore to that, it was a real missed opportunity to put a stranglehold on the series. Chivas were missing three starters through suspension. I think they were missing another player or two through injury. And you know, you're playing at home, and you know whether you're the favorites or not, you really want to go down to Mexico having given yourself the best chance at, at finishing this off. Now, you know that said. Um, this is a Toronto team that that's very confident in themselves. And the thing that struck me post-match was aside from Vanny being a little, little uh, less verbose than he normally is, was that when we spoke to Michael Bradley and we spoke to Drew Moore, uh, neither one of them was feeling sorry for themselves. Neither one of them was, was letting their head drops that were letting their heads drop. They were very much adamant that, you know, this was halftime in the series and, and yes, they had, they had, not taken from the home leg what they wanted to do, but there were still 90 minutes left to play. And, and they were quite certain that, you know, although they've given themselves a mountain to climb, uh, if there's any team in MLS history that could do it, it's probably the Toronto FC team. Yeah, I mean, one thing from this CONCACAF Champions League, uh, TFC have scored in Mexico. So it's not like they can't do that. So that's, that's a huge up uh, advantage for them. But I got a feeling watching... The, the end of the game, the last 10 minutes, TFC, at least on the field, started to play a little too desperate rather than trying to to really go at Chivas as they had done for majority of the game. Do you expect Vanny to switch something up going into the second leg? It was a very strange game, and, and as you said, like Toronto dominated about 65 minutes of it, and, and by right, they should have scored a couple more goals, you know, take expected, goals, mm-hmm. take expected goals for what they are, and, and, you know, Toronto should have scored at least one more, maybe two. And, you know, this is a team that, that creates a lot of chances. Sometimes they're, they're not as efficient with them as they would like to be, but uh, I think you can take the fact that they did create so many against the Chiefs team that is supposed to be so defensively sublime as as a good omen going into this second leg. Um, the other thing that was kind of weird about it, aside from how it sort of played out, was that you know this was a Toronto team that that seemed a little bit sluggish on the night. They seemed a mm-hmm. little bit imprecise, and you know my theory on why that is is because so many key players were carrying yellow cards that. You know, Michael Bradley had to had to think that extra little bit before he decided if he could go in for a tackle. You know, Jonathan Osorio had to be that extra little bit cautious. Drew Moore had to have that extra little worry in the back of his in the back of his mind. And you know, Sebastian Jovinko and Josie Altador were both at risk of missing that final. And so, I think that really left a cloud sort of over the team because there's one thing that you don't want, and that's to make a mistake in this leg. That means you missed the second leg. Right. So having having navigated that. You know, they go into this final leg, and this was something I asked Greg when we talked to him on Thursday, was, you know, there's a refreshing clarity about this that the club hasn't had for the last couple of months in this Champions League. You know, normally you're sort of doing the permutations in your head and you're trying to figure out, okay, if they score this, then we need to score that. If we score this, then they need to do that. And the job is very clear for Toronto right now. They go down to Mexico and they need to win by two goals. 2 nothing is a perfect result for them. Chivas scores first, they need two goals to send it to penalty kicks. So, you know, there's a there's a very clear path to turning this over. Of course, Chivas gets some of their guys back, and, you know, who knows how it's going to play out. And, and as we've seen, they've been a, a very, very sturdy side defensively. But, you know, this is a Toronto team, and, and I think I've mentioned this before with you guys, that over the last couple of years, they've gotten through 11 of these two-legged series, and, not always pretty, and sometimes you need away goals, and 
and sometimes it doesn't play out the way that it is. But to get through 11 of these in a row is uh, a pretty fantastic record. James, I got to ask you, was it – do you think – was it more of Chivas's play or was it more of just Toronto not finishing opportunities? Because I've gone kind of back and forth on this. And at first I was like, man, Chivas really – Maybe they put on. Maybe they look. They look like they were pretty sharp um, uh, with their with their with their strategy. But I mean, the more I looked at it, the I, the more opportunities I thought Toronto had. Especially, uh, I would say towards the end of the first half, especially on on those uh, wings, they were getting plenty of opportunities and plenty of service in the box. They just weren't finishing those opportunities. So was it more of you think Chivas implementing a great a good game plan, or was it more of just Toronto just shooting themselves again in the foot and just not making uh, use of those opportunities that they provide for themselves. It's always a little bit of both, you know. There's always what you manage to do and what the opponent manages to stop you from doing. And and that period you were talking about, the sort of last 15 minutes, last 20 minutes of the first half. You know, I think Josie had two really good looks from you know 10 yards out that he normally buries, and Sebastian Jovinko had another one as well that was pretty good. And you know, in a competition like this, you just can't really afford to give those away. And no, that's not taking anything away from Chivas. They had a lot of guys that sort of stood on their heads. Uh, I'm not super familiar with, with Liga MX and Mexican football in general, but uh, Salcido, the uh, the veteran defender that stepped right. in for uh, for their suspended captain, had uh, apparently his best performance in years. And, you know, a goalkeeper that had played, you know, a handful of matches before comes in and makes, you know, six or seven really key stops. And, you know, Toronto, Toronto, if you speak to them, what they'll tell you is, is they're happy as long as they're creating the chances. Because as long as you're creating the chances, then that means that your game plan is working. And then, then it just comes down to the fini- to the finishing and being precise in those key moments. And you know, aside from the yellow cards and aside from from uh, the sort of awkwardness of how Chivas plays the game, I think Toronto would be happy with how they perform. But they were missing that that little bit of sharpness and you know this is a long tournament it's been a i think that was their 11th game in the first two months of the season which you know you you add in all the travel and you add in all the altitude and you add in you know that they played on that ugly stadium out in, uh, the ugly pitch out in montreal and b-mobile field has been a, a really heavy pitch and then you're down in mexico where the grass is, is you know much more uh accommodating to the way that they want to play and there's been a lot of a lot of wear and tear. There's a lot of bumps and bruises on the guys, and and this was just to, they were sort of due to have a a bit of a slip up in the competition that they'd focused so much attention on. And you know, one of the one of the peculiar things about it was we were told heading into it, and we sort of had a, a glimpse in the other Champions League matches about how peculiar of a style Chivas comes at you at. But you know, I've never seen sort of a 40-yard gap in between the back line and, and the midfield where there is just absolutely nobody in the center of the mm-hmm. field. Uh, mm-hmm. Greg Vanny even mentioned this, and like uh, he said that's just bizarre because normally there's somebody who's tasked with sort of occupying that space because you don't want to give that much up. And, you know, he broke it down into – into it was almost sort of a series of, of one-on-one battles, and that's what she was turned the game into. And and in order to uh, one of one of the things that he pointed out that I hadn't quite noticed was that what that requires from the Toronto players is you have to do everything at maximum speed in the sense that not only do you have to be be where you need to be to get the ball or to make yourself available for somebody else, but you need to be going full tilt in order to get away from the man who's marking you. And you know that that is a heavy workload and it asks a lot of guys and if guys are feeling a little bit tired and they have that slight hesitation of the yellow cards that we mentioned before, then, you know, maybe being a little bit less precise than you would like to be is a natural consequence of that. But, you know, this second leg, they've, they've gotten 90 minutes to have a look at what Chivas looks like and, and what that game is going to look like and what they can expect. And, you know, there's no reason, reason for Chivas to do anything different in the second league leg. They've got an advantage. This is kind of the way that they play, so it's not like they're going to come out and uh, change it up with 90 minutes to go until the Club World Cup. But, you know, I'm I'm pretty excited to see how this game plays out. It's been a, it's been a pretty wild journey. If you look back, it started at the end of February with that uh, ridiculous snow game in, in Colorado. <laughs> and it's uh, regardless of how it goes, you know, it's been a, it's been a pretty wild ride. It has. Lastly, James, before we let you go, uh, what do you what do you expect the the outcome to be? Um, that's a tough one because it's it's 
there are so many ways that things can go. You know, one of the things that, that some of my colleagues in the press box always laugh at me about is when they ask me how I think a game's going to go, I always tell them that the first goal is going to be really important. And uh, <laughs> yeah, when they, when they laugh at that, <laughs> when I laugh at that, you know, the second one's going to be really important too. Um, one of the unique things about this is that that first goal, if Chivas scores first, Toronto still needs to get two. two. Yeah. To send it to, to, to a shootout, which sort of, yeah, aside from how dispiriting that would be to sort of give up a goal, it, it doesn't really change what you need to do. Whereas if Toronto scores first, then Chivas, you know, do they have to change the way that they play? If, if that goal comes early, does the crowd sort of get on edge a little bit? And, you know, we, we haven't really seen how this Chivas side looks against a Toronto team when they're not in the driver's seat. Scoring that early goal in the first leg really sort of shaped how that match was going to look throughout. And even when Toronto managed to tie it up, you know, I think you could say that Toronto had the better of the chances until until that free kick sails in over Bono's head, and and then Toronto sort of took some risks and, and threw caution into the wind, and the game really sort of opened up into a, an end-to-end sort of affair. So, you know, that first goal and, and especially a second goal, should we see it, will be really interesting. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing Toronto come out with a with an intent and the determination that maybe we haven't seen in a lot of these second legs in Mexico. When they went down to Tigres, you know, you have the 3-1 lead and you know, or you have the 2-1 lead and you know exactly what you need to do. And when they went down to Club America, you know, they sort of knew they would be up against it and they grabbed that early goal and then they just were able to sort of see out the rest of the match. And, you know, this is this is going to be a unique situation in this tournament where Toronto needs to go on the road in the second leg and get something from this match. And you know, they're a very determined side, and, and I'm very curious to see how that looks. And so what do I think it's going to be? Uh, I have no <laughs> idea. Uh, Greg Vanny said it would uh, a 2-0 would be very nice, which uh, I think uh, most MLS watchers would agree would would go a long way to yes. making things interesting. But, uh, you know, it's CONCACAF, so there's always got to be some twists and turns. And so, mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe something like a let's go big. Let's say 3-1 for TFC, a little bit nervous but a wild game and a memorable night for sure. Absolutely. Wow, well, that's that's a bold prediction. I like it. A lot, yeah. <laughs> bold indeed. Uh, James, just tell the listeners where we can follow your uh, follow you and get your work. MLSsoccer.com, all that good stuff. All right, we got a couple pieces coming out on MLS Soccer in the next few days. Just uh, covering some of the some of Victor Vasquez injury situation and uh, you know what Toronto FC expects from Chivas and all that sort of stuff. And you know TFC two is uh, I cover them for Waking the Red at SB Nation, and they're sort of a, it's an interesting follow. It's a curious case. There's always moves going on, and the club just signed a bunch of young players up to the first team, and so we'll have some some pieces showing up there and. That's uh that's pretty much my focus for now. I'm kind of looking forward to getting back to the regular season. This has been such a bizarre uh, yeah. right. few months of these midweek games and and you know not paying attention to MLS as much as I'd like. So it'll be nice to have a, a little break and then get back into the regular grind of uh, the weekly MLS. Absolutely. Well, James, we appreciate it. Enjoy the game, and uh, we'll see what happens. Oh yeah, it'll be a fun one. And uh, anytime, boys. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was James, our little TFC insider. It's always nice to get these guys who are around the club on. Love it. You get some great insight. Steve Brizendine, great insight in uh, Sporting KC. But, Armand, games Wednesday night, I, I, I have a hard time seeing TFC overcoming the deficit. It's not out of the, the world. We've seen, we saw Roma do it against Barcelona. We saw Juventus. 99% do it against Real Madrid. It's not impossible. The sport's crazy. Um, what is what is a huge advantage for TFC, I think, in the mindset? It could be a huge disadvantage as well, but if Chivas score, it does not change anything. That is the huge advantage TFC has. So they could go, they could get a goal, and if Chivas respond, it doesn't change the ma- the fact that they still have to score another. TFC have to get to two goals no matter what. No, they do, and it doesn't really change much. I, like I said, I'm kind of bleak. I think 
I think Chivas knows how to uh, close out a game, and we've seen them do it before. I, and I think Almeida. Yep, and and they're on this historical run of you know ending. I think it was sixty five years of not winning uh, a regional tournament. Yeah, um, so like, yeah, I mean, it's like a Cinderella story waiting to happen, you know. Yeah, but and you could say that with TFC too. So they're both Cinderella stories. Uh, I don't think anybody expected what we saw last Tuesday. So I'm gonna go with the the hot and bold prediction that whatever we're gonna see Wednesday, nobody's gonna expect. Oh, that's really hot. Uh, must that's a really sexy pick right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm gonna go. I like I said, I thought TFC would blow out Chivas and. To be quite honest with you, they should have blown out Chivas, but again, it's their fault. They didn't capitalize on opportunities. You think this is when it happens? They won't blow them out. I, I, I'm going to go 2-1. It goes to penalties, and that's all I'm going to say. All right. Follow us at Unc Sam Soccer Pod, Armand Fai, Steven Jodder, and, and then with Jake Watroba. Big shout-out to uh, Steve Bresendine and James Grossi for joining today's episode. Catch you on the flip side. Duncan's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer. The in-dash OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve, too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.